We started this two weeks ago, so I thought, let's just, let's just revisit this a little bit. So short recap, we're, we're doing a series called In the Arena, but I think it should have been called Fighting from Our Backs. We're, we're, we're learning how to, as a, as a Christian community, fight differently in a culture that's rapidly changing. So when we think about warfare, this, this is uh, the, the top of a, a, a hill called Little Round Top, uh, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, second day of the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, takes that piece of ground, holds it with the 20th Maine, and six times the South charges up that little hill. That's not a big deal, but all of warfare is looking for this advantage. What it wants is an elevated position, and from that elevated position to exercise superior force. So if you're surrounded from an elevated position by superior force, you're, there's only one thing you can do in warfare left, and that's take your head, place it squarely between your knees, and kiss your butt goodbye, because there's nothing you can do, but just wait to die. So when he takes this piece of ground, they assign him there. You look at this hill, it's, not, it's probably not much bigger than the hill behind the church, but it's got these rocks and trees. And so in a 100-degree heat index in wool uniforms, the South charges up that thing six times. The last time Chamberlain orders a bayonet charge, they pinwheel around the side, and the South just gives up. We can't do it anymore. They're out of water. They're out of energy. They're out of the will. And what they didn't know was that the, half of the muskets of the men that charged down the hill didn't have any bullet in them. They were out of ammunition. <laughs> but when they came down, the, coming up the hills hard, going down the hills a lot easier, right? You can roll boulders down and kill people. So a superior force from an elevated position. This is, this is literally the history of warfare. Take the high ground, take the, put artillery, you know, give infantry. I mean, you got to take the high ground. Every time they went into a battle situation, everybody fought over the high ground because once you got on the high ground, you could, just, you could just rain down death on people that tried to take it away from you. Does this make sense? This is the reason for castles. This is the reason for fortresses. This is the reason for wooden forts during the bow and arrow and spear day. We want an elevated position so that what we do goes farther and with the greater ease and velocity than what they do trying to come up the hill. So this was all true until Hoist Gracie. Real fight, 450-pound sumo wrestler versus 180-pound Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. Now, if you were in Vegas and a sinner, never mind, I have to say that because you're in Vegas, um, you're, and you're going to bet on this fight, who do you think is going to win the fight? Yeah, you know it's always crazy, but it's not, right? It's Man Mountain. I mean, Man Mountain needs to fall on hoist and smother him in his cleavage, and it's over with. There's, there's nothing a guy that side. You can't hit him high enough or hard enough to do damage. You can't get underneath him because you'll die underneath him. But Hoist Gracie had a guy named Helio, his father, who was 140 pounds and developed something today known as Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. In other words, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is the small guy fighting from an inferior position with inferior force and winning. The way they win is that they, when you come down with a haymaker, you put your, if you're on the ground on your back and the guy's on top of you, you wrap your legs around the guy's pelvis. So the strongest muscles in your body are at the pivot point of, the, of your opponent. And when that guy tries to come down, you just pull him in. So he misses, over the, he shoots, overshoots your jaw, and while his arm's extended, you grab it and break it. Doesn't this seem like a great idea? Right? So that's one of the most dangerous men, especially during this fight. How many guys know that men with bald spots can still be dangerous? Come on. Amen. There it is. Thanks, Daniel. I appreciate it. Hearty amen. 64, it says on his shorts. Any idea why it says 64 on his shorts? I'm just curious. Is that like he's 640 pounds? They just removed the zero for his ego? I don't know what that is. But anyway, this guy is one of the most dangerous people found profound in the world prior to this day because of what he knows. He knows how to fight from his back. No matter what advantage you get, he has something to counter it and dislocate a joint on your body. He fought from his back and he won. Now, Jesus taught the church to fight from their back. When Jesus is teaching his disciples to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, when Jesus is teaching his disciples to love each other, when Jesus is saying the things that he's saying to his disciples, they are currently outnumbered 42,000 to one. 
The Roman world, 5 million. Jesus and his disciples, 120 people. So when, when the, on the day of Pentecost, when the, when the birthday, the empowering of the Holy Spirit comes to the church, they're outnumbered 42,001. They are not a superior force. And, and politically, militarily, socially, they're not in a superior position. Now, you can say, hey, my God, you know, me and my God, we make a majority. I wouldn't argue that at all. But what I'm simply saying is this. Jesus didn't teach them to take over Rome and then from the seat of Rome, conquest. He taught them to fight from their back one by one. He taught them how to love people. He taught them how to sacrifice. He taught them to be generous. He taught them how to pray. Signs, wonders, miracles, things that people cannot believe. I'm um, sorry, even unbelievers could not uh, cease to believe. So things like this, we talked about this last week, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Um, while Rome was, was shouting, the church was shining. While, while Rome was saying, you know, you will obey us, obedience unto death, you know, the, if you're a Roman citizen. Well, while they're doing that, Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and they glorify your Father in heaven. Well, that, that's a completely different way to fight. It wasn't saying, own the news network and get, get your political party aligned and get, get all the money from this sector and, and overcome the sports drink industry. And from that position, now, he says, no, right where you are, all you got to do is be so shiny, people see what you do and they don't blame you for it, they blame God for it. Let your light, your light, by the way, not God's light, but God's light inside of you, making you shiny, making you salty, let your light so shine before man that they see your good deeds and they say, I couldn't possibly blame Matt Whalen for that amount of good. I have to blame Matt's God. I cannot possibly blame Pastor Kyle for that song. I, I can't give him the credit for it. I, I got to say, man, Pastor Kyle, when you stand up here, you kind of, you know, I just I'm Pastor Kyle. I want to say. But when you sing, something comes out of you that's from heaven. So you can't say, Pastor Kyle's awesome. All you can say is the Holy Spirit through Pastor Kyle is awesome. Does that make sense? You guys still here? Same thing. When Rome was shouting, the church was shining. When Rome used people to gain positions of power, the church served people and loved one another. Jesus says in John 13, 34, you know, a new commandment I give you, as I have loved you, now it's time for you guys to love each other. That way, to death. Don't, don't serve to death. Don't respect to death. Don't, don't you know, militarily fight to death. He goes, just love each other until you do anything for one another. And when the world sees that, all men will know what? You're my disciples. No one's going to say, well, you know, that's a good philosophy. But they say, no, listen, that like, the, like the, uh, the centurion watching Jesus die, and goes, man, I, okay, surely this was the Son of God. There are certain things, hear me, there are certain things believers do that make unbelievers have no choice but to believe. Does this make sense? So, again, 42,000 to 1, he doesn't say get elected. He doesn't say take over the industry. He doesn't say form a militia. What's he say? Shine, don't shout. Please, let me just reiterate from two weeks ago. Please do not use your social media platform to make everybody ticked off. Please don't engage, especially with other believers. I think nothing makes us look less shiny than when we're all upset about something silly that the world doesn't even care about. Remember that when we shout at one another, the world is listening to a foolish conversation. Private message each other and blaspheme each other's names for all I care. But in public, no, I do care. Don't do that. But in public, please, right? So while Rome's using people to gain positions of power, we're coming in as a church and we're serving people that can never pay us back. Look at this. The culture in the United States uh, has changed. It is changing as we continue. Uh, it'd be wise for us to understand a little bit more about how to engage our culture more effectively. Many of the things that I have done for over 30 years, they, they bear less and less fruit each year because the question that I'm answering from the pulpit is, has now changed. Um, it's very similar, speaking now of the gospel, 
teaching on the kingdom, it's like I'm talking to people that have never heard it before many of the times. And I'm not saying, you know, you guys should read your Bible more. It's not. But we're hoping that people that know nothing of Scripture walk through those doors and learn about the kingdom and its king. Amen? This isn't something where we would be alien to. We want that to happen. But it's funny, 30 years ago, those who walked through the door and came in, many of them in public school had heard the Bible. Many of them in public school had been led in prayer. Many of them in public school, uh, you know, in, in the, the government realm, whether it's meetings and, you know, elections, or there, prayer was a part of our culture that's diminishing now. It's illegal to do certain things that was just the right thing to do. How many of you guys have lived long enough to know what I'm talking about? So, so that's changed. So people that walk through the door, and you said, when, you, when I said God 30 years ago, people knew that I was talking about the creator of the universe. Now I say God, they say, which one? The Hindu God, the Muslim God, we're talking about Allah, talking about whatever Buddha's talking about. You know, the naked guy with the cross legs and the incense? Where are we, what are we talking about when you say God? The Judeo-Christian ethic that was there 30 years ago that was just kind of woven in the DNA, it's not so much here anymore. So it would be akin to me going to a culture that did not know Jesus when I speak about Jesus, right? And the same thing is true of you. When we talk about God and morality and Scripture and, you know, the average person doesn't believe that the Bible's true. And I hate to tell you this, but the average Christian many times doesn't believe that the Bible is true. So we're starting from, from a place where really Jesus was starting from with his disciples, and we'd be wise to understand how to fight from our backs. So I want to take a look at something as Jesus is teaching his disciples about expectations. When you do go with the kingdom message and you begin to share this message with others, there'll be various reactions that, that will be normal. And so if one isn't all that positive, don't freak out. Expect it. If one's really positive and multiplies, don't freak out. Expect it. So take a look at this. Matthew chapter 13, verse 3. Then he told them many things in parables, Jesus, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly. You know, there's rocks where the, the water was kind of in that soil, but as soon as the sun came out, because of the shallow soil, it, you know, the, the mud turned to clay, and the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, and still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Now, how many of you guys know this parable? Let me see your hand. You've heard this parable. You know the explanation. Okay. If you'd never heard that parable before, be honest, how many of you guys have any idea what he's talking about? I think he's talking about farming. Okay, be very careful then. Don't plant your seeds where there's birds and past. And what's funny is, is understanding what he's talking about sometimes doesn't help us either because I've heard actually people say, you know what, if, if we can't scatter seed where the ground is hard. It's like Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said scatter the seed. Well, if there's birds around, we need to develop a scarecrow. It's like, I have no idea what you're even talking about. Yeah, well, a scarecrow so that people understand, you know, the fear of the Lord. It's like, I know. I, I think we're misunderstanding the meaning of the parable. The meaning of the parable is not how to be better farmers. The meaning of the parable is creating proper expectation when we share the message of the kingdom. You guys still here? So, and I just said it, so I won't say it again. He explains this parable, and, and this is the way that he does it. He says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, now let me just say this, it's the message of the kingdom. Sometimes we confuse this with the message of salvation. Salvation is in the kingdom, but the message of the kingdom is not only the message of salvation. So he's talking about signs, he's talking about miracles, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he's talking about becoming a son or a daughter, he's talking about activating the gifts and being an heir, he's talking about healing, he's talking about every, everything that the king has to give is in the kingdom, yes? 
So the message of the kingdom is not get born again. The message of the kingdom is all that was won through the cross of Christ and the resurrection of his body. You still here? So when anyone hears the message of the kingdom and, and doesn't understand it, I, I just don't get it. The evil one comes like a bird and he snatches away what was sown in their heart, like a bird eating seeds. This is the seed sown along the path. Now, just by a show of hands again, I know I'm asking for a lot of interaction, but it helps me as an exhorter to know that you're listening. Um, so this is all for me. That's great. Happy Sunday. Let me ask you this. How many of you guys have ever shared the truth the truth that was needed, the truth that was necessary, the truth that you know God gave you to give, and the end result was like you never said anything. Can I see your hand? Okay. Well, does that mean you did it poorly? Does that mean you're wrong? Does that mean you need to build spiritual scarecrows? Does that mean... No. It just means that some seed, though it appears to be, you know, you know food for birds, it is our responsibility to continue to sow what God puts in our hands, Right? Have you done anything wrong? Well, I just won't sow anymore because when I sowed, you know, it didn't bear fruit, so I must not do it well. Jesus says, sometimes though you do it well, it doesn't produce anything because they didn't understand. Some people's hearts just can't understand grace. Not yet. So what do we do with people like this? Well, you shun them and you defriend them and you say mean things about them to their friends. Yes or no? What do you, you just love them. Because how many of us know at any minute the plow can come by and it was trod down by the feet of man can be plowed up by the grace of God. So it, you, you don't, matter of fact, can I say this? If the seed's there and it gets plowed under, you, you know, like the birds don't get it when it gets plowed under, it'll sprout. Like it is our responsibility to tell the truth, tell the truth, tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, the gospel, the kingdom, the king. This is our job. We shine, right? We love each other. We speak the truth in love, grace, truth, not just law. And so some of it is not going to be responded to. And don't let your hearts become discouraged if when fighting from your back, you can't break somebody's arm. You know, some people just have no, no you know, they're just elastomen. They, you just can't break their arm. Not yet. And that's a terrible analogy, but you know what I'm talking about. So go break their arm. Hallelujah. All right. Second thing he explains, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once goes, wow, why didn't anybody tell me this? This is awesome. But since there's no root, there's no depth, all they got was salvation. All they got was forgiveness of sins. All they got is you don't have to go to hell. They last only a short time because when trouble or persecution comes because of that word they've embraced, they quickly fall away. And again, just by a show of hands, you shared the gospel with somebody, they got all excited, they came to church, they raised their hand, they said the prayer, they're talking about Jesus, but six months later, you have no idea where they are. Anybody? Right? What happened? Well, you must have done it wrong. The church must be terrible. Or that would have stuck. Hear me. Jesus is not telling us how to be better farmers. He's telling us what to expect. When we do what we're supposed to do, it doesn't mean everybody does what they're supposed to do. Right? So there are some people that go, man, you know, the camp was awesome. Man, youth retreat was fantastic. Man, that marriage retreat changed our lives. Wow, that, that one sermon, I'll never be the same again. But how many of you guys know that sometimes living on one side of a line costs us something that we used to enjoy on the other side of the line? Sometimes friends, sometimes family, some, sometimes jobs, sometimes what we look in the mirror and see changes. I'm telling you, here, listen to me. Some people are not going to make it though they made it for a short time and it sprouted and they were excited and they're growing and they can't wait to, by the time it's time for maturity and producing fruit, it costs them too much. Let me tell you something that most people won't tell you about the gospel because we're, we're sharing it in a way we want you to respond to. Hear me. If you give your life to Jesus, then your life belongs to Jesus. And there are many people in scripture who gave their lives to Jesus who later had to give their lives for Jesus. John the Baptist. Jesus says, See this guy? No one born of women will be greater than him. 
before him, after him. This is the man. You know how John died? He got imprisoned for telling the truth, for sharing the truth with a king who didn't like to hear the truth about his love life. He put him in prison. The person who he was in love with had a daughter. The daughter danced for the king. She brought up the veils, the balloons, and the pole, and the king got amorous and made a decision he should not have made. I know nobody in this room relates to what I'm saying, but it's a Bible story, so I'll just share it. And, and he made a decision he should have made. He said, you've pleased me, whatever that means. Um, you, whatever you want, the half my kingdom. You've won the lottery, kid. What do you want? She goes and talks to her mom, and her mom didn't like the fact that John was saying that her relationship with the king was illegal, immoral, it was wrong, which it was. It was the truth. So she, the mom says, ask for John's head. She comes back to the king, and in front of everybody, who he offered this half the kingdom, you know, lottery ticket to, she's won the golden ticket, she gets the factory and all the Oompa Loompas. She says, I don't want that. I want the head of John the Baptist, the man who was greater than any other man before him or after him, born of women, was executed because a hoochie mama shook it for Herod. And Herod got amorous. Does that seem fair to anybody? But is that what happened? And you know what John, I, I think his last thoughts were? It wasn't like, what the heck? <laughs> I, it'd be, honestly, one of my thoughts would be, what the heck? But when the disciples come to John and say, hey, Jesus is starting to lead people away from, like, our followers are going to him. You're losing your following. More people are following his blog than your blog. More people are going to his church than your, more people are eating his product than your product. Hey, and he goes, you know what? It's, the time's come. It's time for me to diminish. I've got to get smaller, and he's got to get bigger. I think at the end, he said, well, that's about as small as I can get. I'm done. You hear what I'm saying? When you give your life to Jesus, your life belongs to Jesus. And sometimes those who give their lives to Jesus require their lives to follow him where he's leading. And, and that's an extreme example, but let's back it off to maybe something closer to us. They couldn't stand up against the persecution because it was going to cost them something. Let me tell you, those that are thinking about walking away because it's costing you something, ask yourself, not what does it cost me to follow Jesus, but what does it cost if I stop? Maybe that'll deepen the soil a little bit. Amen? Because you can deepen your own soil, by the way. We'll get to that in a second. Anybody know anybody like this? They're in, then they're out, right? Next thing Jesus says, the seed falling among thorns refers to someone who grew up in the United States. I'm sorry, refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and uh, Mark's version of this says, the desire for other things, choke the word, making it unfruitful. So there's only so much soil, there's only so many nutrients, there's only so much water, and as these things all come up together, here's this one fruitful thing amongst all these unfruitful things. He goes, it's just, there's not enough there for them to mature. It's just really hard Pastor Jim, because my kids in travel soccer, and it's really hard because I've got this going on, and you know, my business, and if I don't catch up on Sunday, and if I, man, a life group's out of the question right now until after hockey's over, and I just, I'm just, how many guys know sometimes we put way too much effort into things that produce and make us produce nothing? And I'm not against travel soccer, even though it is of the devil most of the time. I'm not against being in the PTA. I'm not against Taibo. I'm not against your aerobics class. I'm not, but understand, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then everything else lines up. If we seek first everything else, we can actually lose the kingdom and the king. And in the end, though we knew the truth, it didn't set us free because we chose bondage over freedom. We chose priorities improperly. So Jesus is saying this. Some people are going to share the gospel with. They're going to hear it. They're going to take root. They're going to grow. But it grows amongst all these other things. So in the end, you know, they, they want these, you know, 60-second devotions. How to have your devotion in 60 seconds or less. Try that with your friends. How to have a great friend in 60 seconds or less. It's like you can't have a friend in 60 seconds. Not even on social media can you have a friend. 
in 60 seconds. You know what I'm saying? There are certain things that life flows through. There's a certain order and priority. And if we get those wrong, if we don't seek first his kingdom, this is what happens to us. By a show of hands, none of you, because you're in church on Sunday, not up north at the cabin where the devil vacations, okay? You're here. But you know somebody. Now, being honest, in your, in your own life, how many guys have ever really wrestled with this? Like, I don't think I'm as fruitful as I should be because the word of God is being crowded out by luxuries, by, by other things, by stress and tension and fear and, and running after that next deal, that next deal. Like, listen to me, guys. This is so common in the United States because we have so many opportunities. We have so many opportunities to be off track. So my name's Jim. I'm your friend. Be careful to weed consistently your life. If it doesn't produce fruit, get rid of it. If it hinders fruit, get rid of it. The greatest definition I've ever heard for sin Someone's saying, what's sin? Well, it's missing the mark. The word means this. It's an archer's term. You shoot the bullseye, but you miss it. That's missing the mark. It's sin. But somebody said, I think think the best definition for me personally is anything. Hear me. Anything that cools my passion for Christ to me is sin. Isn't that a better definition? So it's not our failure. It's, It's a constant adjusting that we're seeking first his kingdom, seeking first his kingdom. By the way, you can travel with your kids to soccer practice and be the church on a soccer field on Sunday morning. You, you can travel to the cabin and have times alone with Jesus that are so precious. I'm not talking about coming to church on Sunday. That's not what he's saying. Those who are too busy to go to church don't produce fruit. That's not what he's saying. Amen? You heard me? You should be in church on Sunday, but that's a separate topic altogether. Those that are watching by live stream, I have nothing to say. What I'm saying is this. Nothing to say. No, no. Beautiful things are happening on live stream. They really are. They really are. I love you. No, things are happening. They're great. Really, God's moving in our life. The life stream ministry, again, for every person here today, there's four people out there that are watching it somewhere else. We, we applaud that. It's a beautiful propagation of the gospel, and Pastor Josh is doing a brilliant job. And because in the second service, he gets the microphone back again, I have to be extraordinarily nice to him right now. So I, I will, right? But we know these people. They're, they're, there's, there's this gift. There's this calling. There's this, uh, like, this is not on Sunday. This is every day. What is crowding out Jesus from your every day? Seek first his kingdom. Seek first. David said, early in the morning will I rise up and seek thee. Why? Because if I do it first, everything else comes next. If I do it next, everything else comes first. Like, there is a time. Whatever your best time is, set it aside religiously. And I don't use that word very often in a positive note. Religiously set aside the time. Because if you don't get what you need from Jesus, you don't get what you need. Not even from soccer. Not even from the cabin. Amen? He says this, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word, understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding like multiplied times it was sown. And this is really the goal. He, Jesus wants for the soil of our hearts to be so prepared that, that whatever he touches us, it multiplies within us. How many of you guys see that? But understand this. This is not about farming. This is about expectation. So when we go to share, there will be some. I don't think it's 25%. I don't think it's one out of four. I, I, it might be one out of 1,000 in some cultures. It might be one out of two in other, in other times and other places. It might be one out of one during revival. But what's important is not what's our percentages, what's our closing rate. We're not selling anything. We're spreading seed, praying that it lands on good soil. What I'm trying to say to you is this. As we talk about fighting from our back, it's important that we understand that our responsibility is not to plow the ground. Like, like the soil, as Jesus describes it in this parable, it's, it's a moving target. It, it just, we don't know. There are people that honestly, sincerely, filled with the Holy Spirit, know the kingdom, know the king, and they won't lead anybody to Jesus this month. Why? It's just not them. It's the soil. And so our expectation should not be, oh, it didn't work. I failed. Our expectation should be, some ground ain't ready yet. 
but that doesn't keep me from spreading seed because I don't know who's ready and who's not. I, I don't know who's ready and who's I, Who am I to judge whether or not soil is hard or rocky or thorny or... If you think about it, guys, there's only one that actually has evidence that you shouldn't put seed there, and that's the hard ground. The shallow, who knows that it's shallow? There's a rock underneath, but it's not on top. The thorny, it's, it's plowed. There's seed. You put your seed, but you didn't realize that there's other seeds with it. Like, it is not up to us to decide who gets the good news and who doesn't. As far as we are concerned, we should be Johnny Appleseed, man. Put it out there every time. It should be everywhere we are, the message of the kingdom, the priorities of the king, the blessings of the kingdom of God. They should forever be on our lips. We are the carriers of the only truth worth believing in on the planet. Right? So this isn't something we should take lightly. Or go, well, I tried once, it didn't work. If a farmer goes out and goes, I put that seed down and a bird came and got it, I thought, oh, well, until I learn how to produce a crop 30, 60, 100 times. I'll never farm again. You know what you call that guy? Nothing, because he dies of starvation soon. Doesn't matter what you call him, he's dead. But a guy that goes, I don't know what the soil has. All I know is my king has given me seed. All I know is the seed changed my life. All I know is I'm commanded to sow. How many of you know that guy's going to find good ground sooner or later? The best fishermen that I know are not the people that own $80,000 boats. The best fishermen I know are the guys that have a canoe strapped to the top of their truck. You know why? Because the guy with the 80,000 boat needs to drive all the way down to the, the Detroit River in Lake Sinclair and put his $80,000 boat in with just the right rig. But the guy with the canoe can plop down to the Shiawassee anytime he wants. Listen, we just need to be people that, get, that drown worms. We just need people that, that have our line wet a lot. We just need to do what we've been sent to do. And I'll tell you this. I guess I found through the years that sometimes I've been hindering the seed a little bit. I, I plant it improperly. I put it on top and judge it. I put it too deep. It doesn't grow. But I, I think we will get better at sowing. But, but please, the parable is not about us and how we... The seed is good. <laughs> the ground is in various conditions. So what Jesus is saying to us through this parable about how to advance the kingdom from our backs... And I'll just give you these two points and let you go. It's, it's not the, the parable of the plower. Did you get that? It's the parable of the sower. Now, every person here by the grace of God, can change the depth of their own soil. Let me say it again, because you need to hear that. No matter what news of the kingdom comes your way, let's say you really want to be used in the gift of healing, or somebody you really love is sick. Um, let's say you, you really been used in the ministry of deliverance, or someone you know is really bound up in, in addictions, or, or lust, or anger, or whatever. You, you just really want to understand that. You can change the condition of your own soil. Did you realize that? Where, where it fell and it was unbelieved and was taken away, where, where it fell and you didn't understand it was taken away, where, where it fell and it came amongst other stuff. If you want to focus on any part of your soil, you can prepare your soil for the kingdom seed. But I don't know how that works with other people. I don't know how to change your heart. I only know how to change mine. I'm not sure that I have the grace to change your heart. One of the hardest things in counseling, one of the hardest things in parenting, one of the hardest things in pastoring is when I love somebody more than they seem to love themselves and I can't get them to do what would bless them. Does that make sense? If I could just get you to listen, if I could just get you to obey, if I could just, just get you to love or serve, you'd be so blessed. Well, I don't feel like it, and why do I always, and all the church, like, just shut your pie hole and listen for two seconds, right? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody else raise teenagers? Okay, good. Uh, it's just part of the task, guys. We, we don't, we don't, it's not the parable of the plower. Now plow deep and removeth the rocketh and formeth walls between thy fields. It's not. A man went sowing seed. It's not the parable of the plower because I don't know that we do the plowing. We do the sowing. So it, it, when I say that, please hear me. What I'm, not, what I'm saying is this. Don't say, well, wait, I'll wait, I'll wait. Just sow. 
Just sow and don't wait. You, you can, they can reject it, and birds can come and eat it, and they can sprout up and die. It isn't like they get one shot at this. If you keep sowing, every time you sow, there's another chance that the soil might be right. So you keep sowing. Well, I won't talk to them anymore about God. I won't talk to them anymore about the kingdom. Every time I bring up the church, they just make fun of me. Stop. It's, it's not for you to judge their soil. It's for you to spread his seed. That's what it's about. You still here? So the soil in this parable is not something you can change. Your job is to spread the seed. And the last point is this, and Pastor Kyle's going to come. Um, his seed's non-GMO. In, in a culture where different, and just I want to say this properly, but it's not going to work unless you listen to me, okay? So hear what I'm saying, but also hear what I'm trying to say. My wife's not here, so views expressed by Jim Wiegand are necessarily those of Dina Wiegand and, and her management, okay? In, in a culture where certain parts of the kingdom's message on righteousness are considered hate speech, where the kingdom comes and we begin to speak the truth about repentance and greed and lust and fear. And I shouldn't be waving my hand towards you. Greed out there. Not Pastor Kyle. Greed and lust. It, it's less and less likely we're going to want to share what Jesus says about those things, right? Because disagreement can be misunderstood as discrimination. And for some reason, our culture has decided to swing the pendulum so the most powerful person in any room is the victim. And so we, our culture wants to be the victim, the persecuted. The, because as soon as they are, you know, if they, they've achieved victim status, everybody comes in to help the victim because we have an allergic reaction to injustice. Do you understand what I'm saying? The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 17. Now understand, there's a balance today. The law was thou shalt or thou shalt die. Thou shalt not or thou shalt ain't going to make it to tomorrow. Grace, mercy, the giftedness, the blessings, and truth, you better knock it off, came through Jesus Christ. Do you hear me? The, the law is not a balanced message. It's, it's binary. Thou shalt or thou shalt not. Right? Thou shalt not or thou shalt. Grace. So mercy comes with Jesus. Grace. But don't forget in the midst of grace, there's truth. Why? Because it would be unmerciful to give people something that can't save them, something that doesn't confront them, something that doesn't convict them. We're going to study the book of Romans the entire summer this year. We have 13 weeks. Dr. J.P. Dorsey's coming in. Uh, we have speakers. We, you know, I'll be talking every other week, and other people are coming in for the other weeks, our staff included. We're going to get into the book of Romans. One of the things that Romans does is it establishes in chapter 1, there's some pretty bad people who do some really bad things out there. And they go, yeah, I know some people like that. I watch the news. Chapter 2, he says, and before you get too busy judging them, you do some pretty cruddy things too. By the time he gets to chapter 3, he says, all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We judge them, so we're in the mood. We see ourselves, and then he just paints this broad brush universality of sin. No, we've all sinned. You don't have to teach a child how to hit his sister. You have to teach a child how not to hit his sister. They're born ready to hit. They're born self-centered. They're born lying to protect themselves. Jar, hand, chocolate chips. Billy, did you eat a cookie? Mm -hmm. Who taught him that? You didn't have to teach him that. You have to teach him not to lie and steal cookies. Amen? So he gets to the broad, broad everybody's sin. Come on. Let's just, let's just join with all humanity realizing we need mercy. Right? Well, 
I don't want to hear I'm a bad person. I'm a good person compared to bad people. I'm, you're a bad person compared to me because you're a judging hypocrite. And you're like, listen, you know, all the church wants is your money, and, and uh, church is full of hypocrites. That's not true. There's always room for more hypocrites in every church. There's empty seats here today. So by confessing that there is a, an element of hypocrisy in me, does that not level the ground? That we all need mercy? Well, you're a pastor. You should know better. You're right. I'm a pastor. You're right. I should know better. I don't. You want to judge me? Well, that's sin. Just kidding. A little. A little not. Right? Listen. I, boy. There are parts of the message of the kingdom that runs so contradictory to culture that we'd be shy to talk about them. Does this make sense? You understand what I'm saying? It doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about them. It means we have to be careful when we talk about them. It is unloving to allow people to perish in ignorance. And if the message of the kingdom involves repentance, then we dare not preach a gospel that doesn't include repentance. Repentance of sin. By the way, repentance of all sin. So the guy that's got a Diet Coke in one hand and a Twinkie in the other judging people who smoke? Please. The guy who's got his own sexual issues judging other people's sexual issues? Yeah, if I look at porn, that's heterosexual. That homosexual stuff's weird. Stop. Sin is what? Sin. And those who sin are known as sinners. And those who are forgiven are known as saints. But no one earns sainthood. It's a gift given by a loving God because we believe the gospel. We need a Savior or we cannot be saved. He's not coming alongside us to make us better. He's coming into us to rescue us from ourselves. The message of the kingdom has a king. The king has rules. We dare not forget these things. When you're fighting from your back, remember that if salt loses its saltiness, in other words, if there's a distinct difference between how we live and what we are and what God's done in our lives and the average person we're sharing with, if it loses its saltiness, it gets thrown out and trampled on by men. And much of what Christianity, you know, the last 30 years has been a lot of like losing its saltiness. Some of the accusations of the world pointing their fingers saying, well, you weren't moral. Well, you misspent money. Well, you condo ladies out of their social security. Those are, I can't say they didn't. I have to stand and say, you're right, they did. But that doesn't discount the message of the kingdom. That wasn't kingdom. That was con artistry. This is the kingdom. I know it's hard because they had a cross on their building and we got a cross on ours. The guy that's screaming about God hates, he's got a cross on his little 30-cent piece of cardboard, you know? We got a cross on our 30 cent piece of cardboard. I can see where they'd be confused. So we have to let our light shine. We don't shout, we shine. And when we correct, we do it standing on the message of the kingdom with the heart of the king for a world that is lost that he loves. Stand your feet, please, all over this room. You know, those of you just clapped as an exhorter, that's probably the best thing that's going to happen to me all day. You don't have to do it. I'm just saying. No, 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 That sounds like I'm asking for it. Stop. Come on, stop. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, no I, I'm, never mind. Just shut up, Jim. Get back to the altar call. Okay. Yeah. Close your eyes. So here we go. Whatever you're wrestling with right now, there's no such thing as a small sin. Man, there's so much grace in Jesus, but don't discount his truth. Even though God loves me, when, I, when the, there's a thunderstorm later today, if I walk out in the rain, I'm going to get wet, regardless of the love of God. Does this make sense? If you're engaged in a sexual relationship outside of marriage, 
you're in the rain and you're going to get wet. It's going to bite you. It's going to destroy you. It's going to hurt you. It's sin. You're not right with God. Repent for the kingdom of heaven and the broken heart of the king for you. It's so near. If you're lying, if you're cheating, if you're stealing, if you're lusting, if you're greedy, if you're a swindler, if you're, if you're just wallowing in self-mercy and unforgiveness, listen, it's unloving for me not to confront the things that are poisoning you and keeping you for an eternity that God has for you. There is a kingdom, and its king is loving, but he's also just, and repentance is required. He paid the price, but you can't get there without seeing him is superior to the other stuff. You hear what I'm saying? Now, that might not be attractive in a day and age where people want to test drive the car for a year before they get married. You're not test driving the car. You're destroying the destiny of your destination. Statistics say couples that live together have a 50% chance of divorce. It's, it's actually, I'm sorry, 75% chance of divorce, which is 50% higher than the national average. I, if I tell you, that's oh, okay, it's, it's, not a big, it's a big deal. Repent. Seek God's ways better than that and choose his way. That's what repentance is. And I, I, I could just sit here all day long and pick out different things, but I, it, that would be wrong of me to do and I don't have time. So let me just say this. Wherever you and your heart and your life don't align with his heart and his word, he's not going to move to make you feel better with grace. He's going to stand on truth and call you to repentance. And so I, I throw the seed out and some will hear it and say, nah, it's not for me. And some will hear it and say, oh, man, awesome, I repent. But a week later, you'll change your mind. Some will say, yeah, that's, oh, so glad I came to church today. So glad I'm in fellowship. I'm so glad I heard the word today. But a month from now, six months from now, you won't remember the words because other stuff came in. And some of you hear what I said. You'll make a decision. And the multiplication of God's blessing in your life will become 30, 60, 100 times that which you have made your mind up about today. You want to bless marriage? How much bless? 30, 60, 100? You got to do it his way. You want to bless business? How blessed? Do it his way. You can, you can prepare your own soil. I can't, I can't prepare yours, but you can prepare yours. So, Father, I pray that today we get out the plows and the weeding stuff and then and we take the seed of your word, even in our own hearts, and just sprinkle it over that, those plowed places because we, we desire your glory. We desire your goodness to be known. We desire your greatness to be seen. We want to shine, not shout. We want to love each other. We don't want anything to interfere with that, God. We want to realize that as we share who we are and what you've done in our lives, some will get it and some won't because sometimes we get it and sometimes we don't. But, but let us not neglect the spreading of that beautiful seed Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You just say in your own way, Jim, I needed this today, and I'm responding right now. Would you raise your hand if that's you? I needed this today, and I'm responding right now. Awesome. God, every upraised hand, every upraised heart, 30, 60, or 100 times, God. 60 or 100 times. Not, not one-to-one. Multiply. Because of this decision, your blessings on their lives for your glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Altar workers are coming forward. There is a guest reception if you're new to the Freedom Center. And 
you know, gee, what's next? Right in that back room, Pastor Josh, Pastor Kyle will be waiting for you. Actually, I'm still talking, so he's going to be a minute, but Pastor Josh will be back there. And we hope you hang out. Get your kids. If you need prayer for anything, these people I trust, I love, I respect, admire, tell them what you need.